Hello, it's Anna Perro and Sophie Little here. We run Soundyard and we are the producers of Chris Skinner's Countryside Podcast. We're excited to tell you we've been nominated for an award. It's a public vote, so if you'd like to vote for us, well, that would just be amazing. You can head to norfolkartsawards.org. Look out for Soundyard. We're under the Broadcast and Media Award. And it's such a pleasure putting the show together and listening with you. So let's join Chris and Matthew on High Ash Farm. How lucky are we, Chris, to be back with another Countryside podcast. And as soon as we get out of your truck, there's a buzzard overhead. Two buzzards, Matthew. One's just landed in the tree behind us. They're keeping in close contact with this woodland because... There's been um, a hatching much earlier in the year of some goshawk in this woodland. Quite surprising, we're only two miles from Norwich and uh, the two buzzards flew right over our head. They were just checking us out. So really confusing, was 15 years ago, well, not seen a buzzard before then and it's suddenly changed completely. And they nest in this wood? Yes, they do. Um, We've had three buzzards nest this year and rearing a total of six youngsters. And just as you got out of the truck, a green woodpecker flew over our head as well, the largest of the three native species. Anyway, we're just going to stroll into some brambles here, so careful you don't fall over. I'll try my best. They're quite close to the ground. We're in a fringe of the woods here yes. and, and, and looking into the sun and everything is so beautiful this morning. How lucky are we yes. in that um, it's, it's all white, isn't it? We've had some very low temperatures overnight. Yes, it was about minus three here, our first proper frost of the winter. And I would say we're in winter now. Nobody really knows when winter begins. Some people say it's the shortest day, around December the 21st. Some people say January the 1st is the beginning of winter. And I say it's no kind of fixed date. And as soon as really all the leaves are off the trees, the season then kind of changes for me. Well, I had to scrape my windscreen this morning, so that's winter. Well, yes, there you go then. So we're into December now. And uh, there's always lots to look at, and the farm is always busy right through the year. So there's no quiet time, even though it's winter. And uh, jackdaws flying over the top of us at the moment. Right in front of us are some plants which um, have got a lot of history attached to them. Just left as stems at the moment. About oh, I'll pull one up out of the ground. Completely dead and. Oh, very snappy as well, and they've got hollow stalks. Great for small insects like ladybirds to hibernate in, and a plant with a lot of history. Socrates, the Greek philosopher, committed suicide by um, drinking a, a phial of um, the liquid from this plant, and it's called hemlock. Um, 399 BC seems to stick in my head, so a long time ago. And... Um, it's a, one of the tallest members of the carrot family. I think there's one larger, taller member, which would be giant hogweed. But hogweeds, all with those flat sort of um, umbellifer-type flowers over the top. And it, it really does smell a lot. So when it's in full leaf and it's already sprouting. So here's some down on the ground. 
it starts the year very very early so we're in just into December you can see it looks a bit like parsley leaves um, so are these dead these ones these are completely dead it's finished its season the seeds have all dropped off I'm looking at some of the plants oh there might be a seed left right up on top of that one that one's about seven feet tall and that's where most of the poison is it's called canine and it's absolutely deadly it uh, sort of paralyzes the respiratory system and you you just can't breathe so it is particularly deadly um, so sometimes the world of nature is very confusing, Matthew. And if you're starting off, it's easy to be put off because you, you learn a name. And if I turn round and we look at the trees behind us, um, there's a very, very tall Scots pine, close to 100 feet, just over 30 metres up there. And then the one behind it, we're going to walk back through the brambles because this will make you smile. <laughs> Don't fall over. Not planning to. These are scrunchy leaves. It really is crisp morning. Got minus two in the car on the way here. Yes, they're lovely. We'll soon warm you up. We're walking up the hill a little bit. And look at this tree in front of us. Tall and straight. That's a Scots pine, isn't it? No. Isn't it? This is what makes me laugh in nature. This is a New World conifer. It comes from the west coast of the United States and is introduced by somebody called David Douglas, who was a Scottish botanist, really keen tree collector, and he brought some seed over. And when they found it, uh, they rubbed some of the needles on it and it smelt like the plant we just looked at. Hemlock. Hemlock. <laughs> so it's called hemlock. Oh, but that's nothing to do with what we've just looked at. No, obviously because, this because <laughs> uh, they didn't know what to call it, so they called it hemlock, and it's named hemlock to this day. <laughs> David Douglas was an amazing collector, and he brought all sorts of seeds from various trees back. So a beautiful tree. It's a good host for the ivy. It absolutely is. The ivy's up about... 30 feet and the tree there's no branches on it till about 70 feet and that's a good 110 feet tall the largest one is up in Strathclyde up in Scotland and that's 170 feet tall in one of the arboretums there that's the largest one in the UK and this one's just about finished but they always curl over at the top the lead shoot just curls over so that's a hemlock so we've got two plants so that's a hemlock down there these little seven feet um, plants that yes. have now gone over and, yes. and this enormous seemingly a Scots pine but not a Scots pine that's also a hemlock yes it is <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean it all about makes nature. complete sense it, it, it absolutely does I expect uh, there are Latin names for both the, of them. yes the Latin names are, are certainly different um, the the parsley like one that we looked at has got caninium in its Latin name and this one's called Chusa as well it's part of a family of new world um, conifers that were brought over so an introduced species however you go back before the last last ice age there were hemlocks as we call them today growing all over this country and they died out and they didn't kind of restock themselves before we were cut off from Europe now David Douglas just as an aside 
uh, had some trees named after him and those long tall conifers right over there in the distance they're douglas Douglas firs? Douglas firs. I've heard of them. Have yes. you? Right. And they're a beautiful name. And the Christian name of Douglas became very, very popular in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So you, you know, some of the old farm workers that worked here that aren't here anymore, sadly, they had Christian name of Douglas. It was very popular and is still used today. Long, tall, straight and really useful. <laughs> and, and that's what the farm workers were who worked here as well. But fancy that having a tree named after you some people are really lucky there's uh, a species of grass that grows in this country called timothy and that was also named after a botanist an american botanist as well i think we're going to have to get something named skinner yes yes I mean, you, you've had a cuckoo named after i you, certainly you? have yes and poor skinner met his fate in the congo basin so that's really sad but nevertheless i provided a lot of information so there we are matthew a little bit of confusion to start our visit off to High Ash Farm this morning, but really we're celebrating winter. It's the first one of winter. It's the Countryside Podcast with Chris Skinner, hosted from High Ash Farm on a beautiful, crisp winter's morning. Beautiful. Chris Skinner's Countryside Podcast with Matthew Gudgeon. We've moved to another part of the woodland here on High Ash Farm and uh, the low winter sun now with the leaves, a lot of them down, coming very um, clearly through through the w- woods and the trees here and uh, Chris we've had a note um, about uh, a fungi forage that happened recently at High Ash Farm the Norfolk Fungus Study Group forayed here uh, the other weekend and uh, Steve and Jill Judd um, did the recce for it and uh, they say there were 69 field identifications and the final total was 199 different species of mushrooms and fungi. That's jolly good, isn't it? Unbelievable. And four of those were new to Norfolk, Matthew. So I'm jumping up and down with excitement. I only know one of them. The, they're so rare and uncommon, many of them. They've just got Latin names. This one is Ramularia syrinthes. Um, and the others, uh, I'd dislocate my jaw if I tried to say them, I think. So they're long Latin names. And they, the fungus group were quite amazing. I, I met Steve Judd. He came out and introduced himself. And you know when you see Crufts at uh, the dog show, the annual dog show in London, um, and many of the owners kind of look like they're dogs in a strange way. Well, the only way I can describe Steve is he, he did look like a fungus. <laughs> he, he did make me laugh, and I did tell him that, and he, he burst out laughing. A long grey beard and hair sort of all over the place. But the enthusiasm of the group... Uh, they all went off to different parts of this wood, foraging away, looking underneath um, bark and under old dead stumps and things. And the amount of information and all the different host species that the fungi 
and occupying the woodland. And of course, most people say, they've got nothing to do with us, we're not at all interested. But of course, if you eat bread, yeast is a fungus. If you drink beer, uh, that's fermented, that's another fungus as well. You look at me when you say that. Yes, I did, yes, <laughs> and a big smile. And of course, wine as well. They're all the result of fermentation in a funny way. So fungi do affect our lives in many, many ways. So we're standing right next to a drought-stricken sycamore. Uh, it lost nearly all its bark. It died during the summer months this year because of the intense heat. And already, around the base of the sycamore, is quite a common fungus, but nevertheless quite interesting. I'll just snap a... Oh, I'll have that twig you just snapped off. Just look down here. Easy to walk past. We're standing in amongst this year's foxgloves. Digitalis purpurea, lots and lots of plants. The frost is on their leaves here, but yeah. these are, are these, what are these? These are right. puffballs. Ah. Now, a few years back, we did look at a, one of the species at the farm, giant puffballs, which are larger than a football and quite a bit bigger than that, and they're edible. This one, these are not edible, but nevertheless, they're interesting. We've had a lot of rain in the last week or two, so the woodland floor is absolutely soaked. But these have a trick up their sleeves. When it rains, they spread their spores. How do they do that? Because the raindrops hit <laughs> like that with the stick you found. They hit the top of the puffball like that and there are clouds of green powder that's their spores matthew that's how they reproduce them absolutely look they're all doing it and so you know i'm just mimicking raindrops hitting the top of the fungi and all of them they've got a tiny little vent at the top and they're bone dry after all that rain so stump puffballs that i won't try and say the scientific name so quite a common species but this is the time of the year that their fruiting bodies appear which are these sending out the little spores millions of them and they yes they'll go off any which way depending on which way the wind's blowing and when it rains the spores get trapped in raindrops drop down perhaps in an arable field perhaps in somebody's garden but occasionally the spores there's so many of them land in the right habitat and they start off another clump of these stump puffballs and their job is to break down so stump puffball if we move all the leaves a little bit we will find an old oh, this one's just reinflated there. Did you see that? Yes. That was all that was squashed by one of the leaves yes. and then just reinflated just... like someone blowing up a balloon. Yes, exactly that. They're amazing. You know, there's so much to learn. But the secret is they're there all year round, but in the fabric of the wood and um, the mycelium, the, the sort of fungal th threads that are in the wood uh, itself don't fruit until particular times of the year, and they all have different times of the year to fruit some in the spring some in the autumn so here's the old stump um it's probably a windblown tree and there's lots of them and they will just inflate in a few seconds like that and then they they're, they're quite capable that that one's just inflated look and off goes all these green spores. Fortunately, it's blowing the, away from us. There is the slightest breeze today, but yeah. barely noticeable. No. But those, t those microscopic spores find the breeze and get distributed. Yeah. Yes. So we're on top of a hill here at the farm. 
and Norfolk certainly not flat. It's quite a tall escarpment coming up. The ground drops sharply away, and we're just going to walk over here. Before we do, I'm just going to... I've highlighted one or two of the fungal species that the fungus group found. Oh, you, they've sent you a full list here they of 190-odd. They certainly have. So, listen to these names. These are the common names. Wrinkled peach, yellowing curtain crust, angel's bonnet, lilac bonnet, dewdrop mottlegill. <laughs> they detected Dutch elm disease, which I suppose is a fungus. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, turf mottlegill, fenugreek stalkball, and red edge brittle stem. And that's just some of the names. Those are the popular names, but there are quite a few here that don't have popular names, yes. but are still listed. Yes, and that's the fascinating thing about the world we live in. There's so much that... I mean, I'm ignorant on fungi. I know a dozen, and I recorded those to the fungus foray, and they quickly found that dozen in the first 15 minutes of the fungal foray, and uh, just amazing. Anyway, the top of this hill is scientifically very, very interesting. We're going to have to walk over here about 20 yards through the bracken, and this year's fox... Well, it'll be next year they all come into flower, the biennials. Just be careful, there's a few rabbit holes on top. My terrible terrier went down a rabbit hole here last night. Not the rat. The rat disappeared. <laughs> he was missing and it was just about dark and I'd been working in the wood here all afternoon. My heart sank. Uh, I'd heard a strange bark about half an hour earlier and um, I couldn't find him when I went to look for him. I called him. Normally he's very good, he comes straight away. And I walked past a large bonfire with some holes in it, um, you know, an old uh, sort of pile of logs. It certainly wasn't on fire. And then I walked, he heading back to the truck, uh, a bit dejected, and I heard a muffled bark when I walked past a hole. And I put my head down the hole, I could smell fox down there, and I heard a muffled bark and he was about 20 feet down the hole on a steep bank with pine roots and oak roots. And I called and called and called, and eventually this dog came out, but it didn't look like rat, he was bright yellow in the sand. <laughs> he left the fox, the terrier in him said, no, you can't leave that fox, but he's got a touch of chihuahua in him, and the chihuahua um, kind of likes the warm fireside at night, so he decided the second part of his being. Did you have to give him a hose down? I had to give him a bath and a hair dry later on. <laughs> oh, that dog... Oh dear. I think people love hearing his adventures. Yes. Um, but I mean, I suppose that was, they, they, that was a bit dangerous, really. Very dangerous, and, and without hearing where he was, you wouldn't have known. No, I heard this muffled bark, and he was, he was a long way underground. Just be careful because there are several rabbit holes here. Um, nearly there. Making our way through the woods. Here we are. I've brought a cane with us. Now, this part of the woodland, there's a hectare on top of this hill, has confused um, ecologists and scientists and geologists for decades. And they've done a special survey here because we're standing on two metres of peat. 
and it's on top of a hill. And the question is... Peaks are normally in bogs, aren't they? It, exactly that. And finally, the question's been answered. And uh, during the last ice age, all this valley in front of us, um, prior to that, before the ice actually came, it was uh, an inland sea and probably 40, 50 feet deep water. And we're on top of the hill, and this hill would have been it not covered by the water. So give you an idea most of Norwich there would have been underwater so how did the peak get here and the answer is it floated and landed on top of the hill the dry land and it brought back an experience that I had as a teenager I'd hired a boat with a friend and we were on Rockland Broad and we were doing a bit of fishing and we moored the boat up uh, beside a, a reed bed only to discover the reed bed was actually floating across the broad and we didn't know till we got back in the boat and we were a good hundred meters from where we'd embarked on and the on, reeds were growing on peat on the peat well, and, and the you, peat yeah, was floating yeah, you could actually jump up and down on it we have an area of peat at the farm here in, in the bottom of the valley and uh, if i jumped up and down on that even you were 10 feet away from me, you would go up and down as well. It, it's just a floating. But the only way this could get here um, was to float here and get left on top of this hill because it is incredibly deep. So I brought a cane and first of all, what I'll do is scrape the top of the soil off, Matthew, because you can't believe what you're seeing. Look, it's good, rich, look at this. lovely soil. That, isn't we've it? been looking at some of the soils over previous weeks, sand a few weeks ago, some of the clays here at the farm last week, last podcast. And this week it's the peat, it's almost pure organic matter, and it just doesn't make sense. Now, I can get the cane and I can push it down into the soil, quite the depth, and it will go down two metres and the further down you go, the, the blacker and more rich the peat is. Just look at this that I've scraped off the top. That's full of nutrients, isn't it? Absolutely amazing uh, stuff. Um, so very valuable, and, but it's a kind of fossil record. Because there's no oxygen down there in the deeper peat layer, it doesn't um, degrade, it stays there. There's nothing to it, there's just no oxygen can get in it. And that's what's happening to our fen soils, some of the richest land in our country, where we grow lots of root vegetables. But because we're ploughing it and moving it each year, uh, gradually the peat reduces because you add oxygen to it when you move it. And gradually the layer of peat is sinking down lower and lower till you get to the clay level. And that causes difficulties with the vegetable growing. Historically, peat was used for fuel as well. People used to yeah. burn it. And in fact, where we come from each week here is the county of Norfolk and Norfolk's famous for its waterways called the Broads Yes, and the Broads in fact are man-made aren't they? Yes they certainly are, just that peat digging um, and that's from millennia ago, again no oxygen could get to that level of peat because it'd be covered by shallow layers of water most of the year and so it never has a chance to decompose so it's always there it's just strictly vegetable matter so it's a, an early form of coal if you like and 
it will burn if you dry it it will burn it also makes a great soil conditioner to mix with if you've got clay soil or sandy soil it helps the sands retain moisture it helps to break the clay soils up to make it more friable and that's uh, one of the soil types we'll look at next week which are loams and uh, silts and alluvial soils so we'll look at those as that's one remaining soil type to look at for us in a future podcast so next week i can ask you for a loam can i yeah yes i thought yes oh very good very droll gudgeon yes anyway just look at that and the important thing is with the clay it uh, you you rubbed it between your fingers this is the same but it will stain your fingers look i'm just rubbing a piece out there and my index finger has gone kind of brownish yellow color and that's the residue of all that plant material from millennia ago and the stored up energy allowed people back in medieval times to cut it into chunks and burn it and the holes created turned into big lakes yes called the broads in norfolk and that's exactly how they were formed but they're huge so the trading of the material the dug from the peat at the base of the broads was obviously very very valuable as a source of fuel because we'd probably felled most of the trees back then we have many overseas listeners and if you've never heard of the norfolk broads listen to a record by david bowie called life on mars he mentions them in the lyrics (laughs) well done Finally, for this episode of the Countryside Podcast with Chris Skinner, we always enjoy reading your emails and letters and uh, lots more coming in this week. And uh, I talked about overseas listeners, Chris. We've got a lot of people listening to you in America. Uh, Sarah Murray. Hello, Sarah. I live in San Diego, California, but I'm originally from the UK. I actually went to school at Ditchingham, All Hallows in Norfolk, with the nuns there. Oh, wow. Not far from where we are today. And she talks about some of the exotic bird life that uh, visit her garden in San Diego, which is probably a little warmer than it is today. So it's lovely to know that you're along for the ride, Sarah. Uh, Also, Lawrence Simon, who's from Sudbury, Massachusetts. That's New England. Wow. who, um, Who says, my wife is a botanist who teaches at the Native Plant Trust near in our area. And someday, if you come this way, we'll show you around the Trust Garden in the Woods. It's only 45 acres, but an important testing and demonstration project. There's a lot of science going on, isn't there? Yes, that's incredible. Yes, an invitation to the States. Wow. Have you got a passport? Um, yes, I you. have. Yes, I get worried if I get to Stoke Holy Cross, the next village, actually. <laughs> um And here's another one from John and Veronica, the Prices, who listen in Somerset, which is wonderful to hear from you. They're talking about uh, encouraging sparrows. And uh, they say, they've been here in the past, and they say, when we came to the farm in the summer, we saw a small row of sparrow boxes on the old cottage by the road. I'd like to have a row of about five or so on our property. I can't seem to find a plan for a group box, so I wonder if Chris could point me towards a plan. Certainly, that's not a problem, so I'll get in touch with you. Very kindly, you've left a phone number, and I'll draw you a plan out for a five-a-side sparrow nest box. And it says at the end, 
and uh, would painting the box a bright colour put them off? Uh, she, he's a bit worried about um, uh, the, the sparrows um, sort of being deterred if you painted the box a bright yellow or something, but it's best not to do that. If you can have a natural colour, that helps a lot. It also doesn't attract the predators quite so much. Bear in mind, sparrows are red list species. They're doing really well at the farm here this year, but uh, anything you can do to encourage them, I'm right behind you. I don't know if you're very big on country music, because this is the Countryside podcast, but Sue Hooper... Can we say hello to Sue? She's listening in Nashville, in Tennessee. Whoa, Tennessee, no less. Goodness me. Yes. The home uh, of country and western. Thank you, she says. Uh, you've changed my heart just listening and learning about the flora and fauna in the UK. Wow. I see the world through different eyes now, so thank you very much. Here's one from Ingrid, Ingrid Bain who uh, is a keen wildlife observer. We have an oak tree 30 feet away where we regularly hear tawny owls. And at that time, we never saw buzzards or red kites, but they've been resident in this area possibly in the last five years. But uh, as part of the email, Ingrid sends a photograph, and she's interested to know whether the image here on a tree could be either a tawny or a buzzard. Yes. And, uh, let's just have a look at this colour image that's been sent through. There we are. Oh, it's on an outbuilding there. Yes, it's right down the end of her garden. So, I've used a special trick for this one to unsolve the mystery, which has been there for a number of years. So, I re-photographed the bird, but in negative. Oh. So, you then have just the image shape without any disturbance from the trees around it and that helped a lot so it actually turned out to be a female sparrowhawk which is larger than the male so neither buzzard or owl no and uh, so the negative immediately came up with sparrowhawk and the way you do it is you look at the outline of the bird and early American uh, fighters in using jet fighters in back in the Second World War had to make very quick decisions about whether they were going to shoot at um, one of our UK Spitfires or a German Messerschmitt. So they used a very quick way of identification and they looked at the plane coming towards them and if it had the jizz of a Messerschmitt, they would shoot. And jizz stands for general impression and size. And it's still used today in bird watching, but it helps if the image of the bird's in negative. So that's what I did, and it came up straight away as female sparrowhawk. So there we are. That's how you do it. Pam Lloyd is listening in Bolton. And she listens every Monday morning. And it's the simple things in wildlife that make me smile. So thanks very much for the programme. And um, here's one from Oliver, Oliver Downs, who says, Hello, broadcasters of the countryside crew and Rat as well. Of course. Luckily, Rat is living to fight another day after the adventure we told you about. Um, I've planted an RSPB-approved hedge, 10 different native varieties, and I'm delighted that after all these years, um, I finally have a nest inside what is it likely to have been i'm so looking forward to next year as it'll grow back even thicker now i've trimmed it down i hope to encourage a few more birds and wild insects too Mm. and that's from mr frisky 
They're yeah. a spinster from the borough of Kringleford. Uh. So <laughs> just a few miles away. So very kindly sent a photograph through. Very helpful. He's got his index finger there, so it gives you an idea of the scale. Doesn't look and like a nest to me. It, it does to me. It's a cup-shaped nest. Straight away, it tells me it's a goldfinch. So well done. It's lined with cobwebs and uh, algae and lichen in there as well, all lined up. Beautiful little cup-shaped nest. There's his fingernail. So his fingernail's perhaps half an inch across. And the nest cup is about, what, 50 mil, about two inches across. So tiny little cup-shaped nest, almost certainly it's in a fork of a branch, almost certainly goldfinch, right next door. And you wouldn't know they're there. They're all very secretive about where they nest. Yes, thank you for that, Mr Frisky. <laughs> um, email address then for future episodes. If you want to send in a message, a question, whatever you like to Chris Skinner, the address is chris at countrysidepodcast.co.uk. But you will find a link to that along with this programme that goes out from Sunday morning each week and you can listen to it, well, at your leisure. Yes, and thank you very much for all the response and the, the compliments about the programme as well. We absolutely love to have your comments, good or bad, we don't mind. Uh, it just brings the whole programme to life. Thank you very much. Meanwhile, we've been here half an hour. And the frost is melting away now. That little magical hour this morning is, uh, is all, all but gone, isn't yes, it? Yes, beautiful. Just enjoy winter, our new season. Don't think of it as a dead time of year. Lots and lots of wildlife is being active. Birds arriving, birds leaving. We've got the winter visiting thrushes coming in across from Scandinavia. They're using these northeasterly winds, which are bringing them straight here. And now the leaves are coming off the tree. It's a great time for walking through the Norfolk countryside. Don't talk too much. Stay quiet and you'll be entertained by in where we are anyway with Norfolk's wildlife. This is a Sound Yard production. Music is by Tom Harris. To hear more episodes, head to countrysidepodcast.co.uk.